Hey, buddy. Yes, Alice? Um, welcome back to Rogue Fun, a podcast story. Rogue Fun, a podcast story, a uh, slow, slow, slow recap of Rogue One, a Star Wars story. <laughs> That's the one. Uh, we're back for another month and another episode. Um, it's a little late in the month, but we are here and we're doing the thing. The way I see it, uh, the later in the month the episode comes out, the sooner the next episode will come out, oh, theoretically. That's a good way to think about it. Yeah. So, so you know, even though this one's a little late, the next one won't be so far away. Yeah. That's that's right. You're right. <laughs> uh, this um, It is May 2020 uh, as we record this, so uh, things have gotten a little weird, but uh, that's why it's late. Um, but we had some fun earlier in the month. We had a uh, May the 3rd. Uh, Rogue One rewatch party with uh, people from our Discord server. Yeah, uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was definitely one of my favorite watches of Rogue One. Uh, and we also did some Star Wars trivia, and I embarrassed myself. <laughs> I was awful at that. Yeah, we um, played Star Wars trivia, and uh, our very good friend Liam won, and it was uh, just a just a really good time. Yeah. It was so much fun to hang out with everybody. We decided to do it on May the 3rd as the prequel to May the 4th, because um, we knew May the 4th would be really busy for uh, for a lot of people, a lot of Star Wars fans. Uh, yeah, the thing about stuff. May the 4th is that that's like the uh, official Star Wars day, but May the 3rd is the prequel to Star Wars day um, that we invented ourselves. Yes. So uh, that was so fun, and we'll definitely do it again next year for sure. Um and uh, if you want some updates on what things like that that's going to happen, if you want to follow us and, and participate with us in our rewatch parties, you should follow us on Twitter at RogueFunPod. Yes. And uh, that's all of the uh, business I have to take care of right now. Uh, shall we just dive right into the movie? Yeah. So, uh, Alice, what part of the movie are we talking about today? So today we are talking about um, this. The, all of the scenes that take place on Yavin 4 right before the Battle of Scarif. So we have the council scene, we have uh, the gathering of the troops, and a tiny little scene at the end uh, between Bail Organa and Mon Mothma. So we are going from uh, the beginning of the council scene all the way to when uh, the Rogue One team comes out of hyperspace above Scarif. Right. And there's a lot that happens in this very, very short little segment. Uh, so we might as well just dive right in. Yeah, so uh, let's start with the uh, scene in the council room. Yes, the council room. Man, I I love this scene. Yeah, there's something about the look of this scene that always gets me. Uh, it looks much older than it is without looking artificially old, if that makes sense. Yeah, it um, looks like classic Star Wars. Yeah, it, it, and, you know, part of it is the, the boards with, like, uh, partially lit, like, uh, designs on them and stuff like that. And I think part of it is the costume design as well. Yes, uh, you get a good old classic... Um, like rebel uniform the pilot uniforms are there mon mothma is there looking fabulous and just the same as she does in um uh, return of the jedi uh general dodonna is there and he's also in in uh in the original trilogy and it's the little things like that that help tie in this movie to the original trilogy 
Um, and uh, our 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 friend General, or sorry, Admiral Radis, uh, the Moncal, is sitting at the table. Um, and everybody's kind of in a mismatch assortment of costumes from various places. All of these um, counselors who were former senators um, from the from the old, not the old republic, the the Galactic Republic, which for a while was the which for a while was the Imperial Senate. Yes, um, the Imperial Senate hasn't been officially dissolved yet. They do not that at for the about very twenty beginning. more minutes. But <laughs> they do that at the very beginning of A New Hope. But um, but they so they are wearing um, outfits from their planets. They uh, every, it's very diverse. It looks great. It looks amazing. It's a, it's a really well-staged scene, and it's a little smoky, like, in that war room sort of way. Yes. Uh, uh, it kind of reminds me of Dr. Strangelove with, like, all of the smoke in the air and the kind of beams of light and the shadows. Yeah. Um, even though Dr. Strangelove isn't black and white, this this evokes war room to me, and yes. it works really well. It does feel a lot like they called it, called the meeting at the last minute. And like an emergency meeting and everybody just kind of rushed in. And so there's nothing formal about it. It's very, everybody's huddled really tightly together trying to hear as much as they can. And, um, and yeah, it gives that war room like very tense feeling throughout the whole scene. It's very cool. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I noticed about the way this scene is structured is um, a bunch of stuff happened in this room before we got there. We, the audience. Um, like, what happened with Jin and Bodhi and their testimonies, a lot of that is left off screen. Yes. All of it's left off screen. Um, we, we just don't... catch the tail end of Jin, like, piping up at the end. Yeah, we don't get to hear her side of the story. We don't get to hear how she tells, you know, about her background. We don't know what everybody in the room knows. We just know that... Um, that it opens with, um, counselor, what is their name? Um, Pamela, um, saying, We must scatter the fleet. We, we can't fight. Like, we, we, there, we must scatter. Like, there's no, there's no way forward from here. Right. And, uh, and everybody's really mad. I think the only person in the room that really... Well, not the only one, but the only person that is like a hundred percent gung ho with Jin is Admiral Radis. Yes, I say we fight. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like Bail Organa clearly wants to fight, and Mon Mothma, I think, wants to fight also. But um, her her whole thing is maintaining neutrality. Um, in the council room, like yes. she is, she is supposed to be the arbiter of, like, the order of things around here. And yes. that's complicated. Uh, and I think that makes Mon Mothma a complicated character in this movie, especially. Because we can see on her face that she she could fight. She, like, wants to. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's Bale's a reason. face. Oh, Bale, oh go ahead. Bale, I was saying there's there's a, a reason why, they, why they're why they all gathered there. Why, why she got everybody together. And why she and Bale are sitting there going, like, we've worked so hard on this. Bale, uh, Bale Organa says, um, you know, if we scatter now, if we surrender now, we are getting... You know, we're giving up everything that we've worked so hard to create. And that's, I mean, that's Bail Organa right there. He's been working on it. He and Mon Mothma both have been working on it from from day one, from the days of the Clone Wars. From the moment of Order 66, Bail Organa has been a rebel. 
Um, yes. And he has done everything that he has been able to to support the rebellion even before the rebellion was a glimmer even before the empire was an announcement right like right bale has been working for liberty and freedom and i think bale wants to fight for sure every time i see jimmy smith's face i'm like bale oh, wants he, to fight. he really wants to fight somebody yeah <laughs> um and he's frustrated because they've done so much to get to this point and um and everybody's just saying absolutely not i get i laugh every time um counselor um his name is jebel comes onto onto the screen because he's played by uh the actor who plays uh anderson on that bbc sherlock show yeah who is also it's the same character just a, a total naysayer very um like no this is this is what i believe we're done we're finished we gotta you know we, we gotta move on yeah he's, he's kind of doom and gloom a bit he, of a downer yeah and and also a, kind of a jerk about it he's very well cast he's very good at that <laughs> the actor um and he he opens by getting mad at general draven for uh blowing up the base on Edu. and this is the very first time that i'm ever in this movie that i'm ever like on draven's side because we spend the whole movie up into this point being like um like oh draven wants to kill galen urso he's the bad guy oh he's calling the strike on edu he's the bad guy he's like Jin's foil um through all the way up until here but as soon as we get someone worse than draven saying draven was wrong for calling the shots on edu and draven just says a decision needed to be made and he made it he made that decision he's the yeah. only one at this point who has acted in a rebellious way. Um, I mean, except for, of course, our friends on the Rogue One team. Right. Um, but he's the only one in that circle who's like, listen, I d he's not on Jin's side. He doesn't want to fight. He doesn't even believe Jin at all. But when he's called out for doing the strike on Edu, he's like, no, I don't. I will not, will not regret what I did there. I made a choice. And, yeah. And so, like... It's a fun turning point, I think, for for Draven, for the audience to see Draven in a in a position where he's no longer the worst in the <laughs> in this group. He's, well, he's no longer the highest authority that we're interacting with directly, like the audience, the the Rogue One team. Right. There, we're we're now up the chain of command, and we're realizing that Draven did what he did because he thought it was the best choice at the moment, and he had the freedom to make that choice. Yes. And Despite it being the wrong choice, because of what we know, uh, it was the right choice in his mind. And based and on here, his information that he Right, and, and his beliefs, right? Like, destroying the base on Edu defends the rebellion. Yes. Like, it, it keeps the rebellion alive. This is a strike that must be made. Uh, and... Or at least that's the information under which he made the decision. So now to see a bunch of counselors essentially turning tail and running. Yes. Despite the fact that they apparently believe in a rebellion um, makes them seem so much worse than a soldier doing their best and being wrong. Absolutely. That it's, it's fascinating how the dynamic changes here. Um, because at the, it, while they're turning tail and running, um, we now see that the true enemy here it was not. I mean, obviously the Empire is the true enemy, but right, the Jin's, truest enemy. Jin's foil is not Draven, but bureaucracy. 
Yeah, and and Draven was a tool of bureaucracy moments ago, but now he's a victim of bureaucracy. Yes. And bureaucracy goes both ways. It <laughs> uh, it invents control and command, but it also slows everything down and can cause inaction. Yes. And that's what it's doing here, and that's the thing that will doom the galaxy if it's allowed to. Yes, but... Admiratus does not want that to happen. He's the first one to speak up. After Draven says a decision needed to be made, Admiratus comes in with, I say we fight. Like, let's do it. I say we fight. I say we fight. Let's go. It'll be great. Um, And, but everybody else is saying, no, why should we believe, you know, you? Why should we believe your father? Why should we believe this Imperial pilot? Um, (laughs) And Jin doesn't hesitate at all to step up and defend her father against the most powerful people in the rebellion. Maybe some of the most powerful people she's ever like met in real life. Yeah. true. Um, And just stares him down dead in the eye. She's so much smaller than everybody around that table too. And she is just glaring them down. And when they call out Bodhi and they say, you know, not to mention the Imperial pilot and like the look on poor Bodhi's face (laughs) <laughs> he like he gave up everything for them and he's just standing there behind Jin like like are you kidding me calling me out like this and she has the most murderous look like like don't ever say anything about Bodhi Rook <laughs> and and really Bodhi's given up everything Galen Urso gave up everything uh Jin is ready to give up everything mm-hmm. like now she's wholly dedicated she thought she was arriving at a place that would respect that. Like right. these gifts that have been given, these sacrifices that have been made. Yes. Instead, they are being ignored. I wonder if she, if part of her expected that to, uh, if maybe it was her, her background with Saw and his level of action and and doing um, is why she expected the, the rebellion to be like that. Or maybe it's part of... Um, because she knows Cassian and she knows Cassian is the kind of person to step up and do things and take action and uh, throw himself into the line of fire. She's mad at him right now, but like maybe she, she thought maybe, maybe they're all like him. Maybe they're all like Cassian. Yeah. And, um, and he, you know, cause he's in their fight just a couple scenes ago was like, I, you know, I follow orders and I do things and I've taken action and I've been in this fight since I was six years old. And then she walks into a room and sees that not everybody is like him. Yeah, uh, that Cassian can say some of us decided to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And that wounds Jin. And she's like, well, maybe I should try doing something about it. And I'll try and do it through the most official channels I can. Just to find those hopes dashed against a bunch of people who don't want to do anything about it. Exactly. They want exactly. to run. Exactly. How can you fight the Death Star? Like, how? It, it, it is an understandable position to keep. Like, if, if you need planets to breathe on <laughs> and the Death Star can destroy planets, like, I understand that position. Where they're like, well, that's too much. That's too big. There's no yeah. way we can And anytime you rebel, this. you are... You are potentially sacrificing a world yes a whole world and they haven't even lost a whole world yet no they don't lose Alderaan yet they lost a a city 
And it was, that was so devastating. It was such a, um, like, emotional and, like, symbolic blow. Because it was the old, um, like, temple of, a, of the Jedi, right? And so it was like a, this is a symbol and a, um, and, and it's so devastating. All these innocent people died. And that's not even a fraction of the power. We, no, that's it. We're done. Like, we've got to walk away. We can't stand up to that. We're not going to sacrifice literally billions of people. So, yeah, I totally get what they're saying. Um, but we, the audience watching the movie, the, the frust, it's so frustrating. When you say not only do they just not want to fight or act and stand up to the Empire, but they just, they also just, some of them just don't believe Jin. They're like, this is nonsense. There's like, there's no way the Empire has this. It's so they're they're sitting there being like, well, we can't sacrifice planets. But also there probably isn't even a planet killer. Like, or or that uh, Jin's intel that it can be stopped if it exists is true. Right. Like they, that's another thing to doubt. Right. And so they've got all these doubts and they don't have all of the information. And still they're saying, well, we should just like, you know, roll over. And instead of listening to what Jin is saying, is like, what if we went and got the plans and got more information and learned about it? And and that's the really frustrating part to me is they're giving up based on on they're giving up based on the intel of the Death Star, except they also don't believe her that she got the intel about the Death Star. <laughs> like, yeah, it's so contradictory because there's so many voices around that table all chiming in different things. Uh, yes, I believe you, but that means we're finished. Uh, no, I don't believe you. Um, and therefore, we should just not do anything at all. Um, and it's especially frustrating after the very after the scene where we last saw Jin and Bodhi and Cassian and everybody um, was that the last time we saw them, they were drenched with rain and shouting at each other and near tears and Jin had just watched her father die and all of these things. We've watched them sacrifice and we watched them fly away from death and destruction. And, and now we're seeing these like very well-dressed bureaucrats stand there and try to say that they know more about the stakes. They know right. more about the war than these people do. They haven't even seen it. They're literally wearing silk <laughs> and, 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 and white. They're just in white. They look, I just, oh boy. I get Every, Everybody in that room is perfectly quaffed in a, a dozen different ways. It, yes. Everybody in that room is very attractive. Everyone in that room is very attractive. <laughs> um, they all look great. Yeah. But the, the problem is, you know, Cassian and Jin fighting over who's lost more, who's more emotionally invested in this fight. Yes. Is so deep and resonant because you can't put a number on that. Mm -mm. And they both lost immeasurably. And then you have these people who have lost status, positions of power, a uh, political voice, maybe. Um, but, ideals. Yeah. But they they still they're in charge. Yeah. And and the when you when you told me about this scene and, and how it made you feel like these bureaucrats are gonna sit here and tell our heroes what the stakes are. Yeah. The line that stuck out to me that, that connects to it is 
you might as well be a stormtrooper. Oh. Right? Like, they might as well be uh, sitting around a table on a Star Destroyer deciding what to blow up and whatnot. Like, You're right. You're right. This this room doesn't look like an Imperial chain of command. Uh, it's much more diverse, like you said. But it it's acting like one. Yeah, because they are making decisions. They, up there in their very fancy clothes and their, you know, perfectly done hair and all of that are going to sit there. And, you know, however many pips on their uniform they've got, you know, showing how in charge they are, are going to sit there and tell Jin Urso and Bodhi Rook and then all of the countless of, of other, like, foot soldiers and infantry that the work that they've already done is worthless and we're not going to keep going um, because we're just we're just going to give up. And somebody like Cassian, who's been in this fight since he was six years old, is somehow supposed to just like accept that. Just pick up and walk away, go and hide. Uh, it just feels it feels really feels really classist. <laughs> it yeah. feels real. It's so frustrating to see i mean like i really enjoy every time she's on screen pamela she's got she's one with that gold hood on her cloak that like beautiful silk gold that just frames her face so nicely like she's gorgeous that outfit gorgeous she gets to wear gold silk in this council meeting and the people right behind her are in flight suits because they're the ones that are going to go hop in a plane and go try to blow something up on her command and Mon Mothma, or not, because she's going to say no. Mon Mothma is sitting there wearing pure white, head to toe. That's the kind of thing that you can only wear if you're certain that you're not going to get dirty or that you can afford to clean. You know, you can't just wear. I mean, Leia wears white at the beginning um, of, uh, of A New Hope. And it gets filthy and and destroyed in the you know when she goes through the trash compactor because yeah, I she mean, didn't. She, expect... she was on a consular ship. Yeah, you know? she didn't expect to have to get dirty. She does get dirty, and it's awesome. <laughs> and she's the best. Um, but that's the 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 symbol of somebody who is like so rich or so powerful that they don't have to worry about the dirt and the grime of the fight, and. Everybody else does. The, there's a ton of people um, in the in that council chamber, um, X-wing pilots in their orange and and uh, my my boy Antok Merrick in his blue flight suit, and um, they're all there, dressed for a battle. I mean, they're in their uniforms. They're ready to go, and ev- all the other counselors are just in fancy robes, looking like they've like haven't seen a battlefield in however long Bail Organa we know has seen a battle you know we've no know he's seen action but he's still a bureaucrat he's still a um you know a senator he was a senator um and I don't know it just feels so classic these are rich fancy people telling you know saying that they know oh the odds are too great blah 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 like when we've seen the odds from the point of view of just the regular old person, just Jin, and we, ugh, it's frustrating. We don't we don't get a lot of moments like this in Star Wars, and the closest I can think of that we came to in the movies is in the Last Jedi, um, where yes. we have this discussion of 
you know, the only way to get rich in a galaxy like this is to profiteer from war. And the only way to really profiteer from war is to profit from both sides. Yes. Like, there's going to be class structures on both sides no matter who wins. And it's hard to fight bureaucracy with bureaucracy. Yes. And and Saw's partisans are painted as the antithesis to that. Like, you also can't fight a bureaucracy of that size by being one soldier with a sharp stick. Like, <laughs> there's there's also limits to pure anarchy. Yes. Um, yeah, and, like, Jin and her group, the Rogue One group, would not have made it, one fighter with a sharp stick would not have made it out with the Death Star plans if not for the fleet coming in. You need all of it. Right. But for the bureaucrats around the council to sit there and say, absolutely not, no action, we might as well just surrender, that's, you need need all sides. You need uh, multiple angles. And uh, and they're not getting it. They're not willing to see it. It's Jin that inspires them to. Right. Uh, She's the one who speaks up, and now Jin is... She's a rebel now. Um, <laughs> yeah, because she gets to give her her speech. The yeah. What chance do we have? The question is what choice? Run, hide, plead for mercy, scatter your forces. You give way to an enemy this evil with this much power, and you condemn the galaxy to an eternity of submission. The time to fight is now. Yes. Every moment you waste is another step closer to the ashes of Jeddah. She is finding that political side of her she's finding the ideals inside of her that she even as recently as a day ago said she didn't have and now she's realizing what she's up against and the inaction she's up against and what her father sacrificed and what she sacrificed and it's building to a head in the speech where she says if you give in to uh, this great of an evil without standing up to it then then what are we like what's the point that to me this is what star wars is this speech is star wars i i do feel like here the movie is trying to say this is a star war now yes star wars has officially begun everything before this it was personal and small, and gritty, and real, and emotional. This is about the greater conflict. We have entered that territory. Yeah. This is the Star War. <laughs> and you should see this Star War, because it's awesome. And it, it drags us right into... Jin is a Star Wars protagonist now. <laughs> She's not an anti-hero. She's not a, uh, a misunderstood scoundrel. She has transitioned fully into protagonist mode. Yes. We're following her story to believe in her journey um, and to watch her transformation and her growth and her new power and her new relationships. Yeah. And she's she's not at her final form yet. She will reach <laughs> it, um, in my opinion, atop the, the tower on Scarif. Yeah. Um, but she is getting there. She's about to declare that she's a Jedi, like her father before her. <laughs> no, yeah, she is. Like, that's, like, her father before her, especially. Uh, you know, yeah. I want to get, you know, we'll talk about Galen some more. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. That's what this speech is. And 
she she gets to be from through through the movie of course we're we're seeing things from from her eyes and from her perspective um but this is where she becomes like like the guide for the rest of the story and for the rest of the characters um uh, specifically i'm thinking of her relationship with bodhi who is right by her side like right over her shoulder while she's talking and you see him throughout her whole speech this whole what chance do we have speech and he like gives a little yes like halfway through her speech like he's her hype man yes it's the best (laughs) um but like there's i mean there's a reason he's there and a reason why he sticks to her um is that not only does he believe her and has seen what she's been through and has gone through a lot himself but she is stepping into this place to be the like guiding light through the rest of the story for him like yeah uh, and and past this point all of the other characters will look to her for guidance every time they they look over at her with a question in their eyes they do it all the time um she's the one that gives him permission in a minute to say rogue rogue one she's the one that um that tells him well cassian tells him but she's she's right there with her eyes being like you need to stay with the ship because you're gonna get us out of here um like he she is in the cockpit while Bodhi's trying to, you know, say, you know, we're this is the shuttle and my access and clearance codes. You know, she's right there by his side to guide him through it. And yeah. he, you know, when he's eventually able to step up and do something on his own, it's because of Jin. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think they're brothers, brother and sister. <laughs> this is big sibling energy. Here. <laughs> I, I would say that the next time we see... Bays and Chirrut, which is just moments away, mm-hmm. they're looking to Jin for direction. Yes. The next time we see Cassian, it's looking to Jin to really commit. Yes. Um, and like K2, whatever Cassian <laughs> says he has to, but like everybody is going to look to Jin to be the moral compass, but also the action compass. Yes. Like the decider, the, the commanding officer. Compass. <laughs> like, like you're going to tell us what to do when when they when she drops down into the belly of the ship when they're coming in on Scarif, everybody looks to her and Cassian looks to her like okay your turn say yep, say speech the speech time. speech time go for it and um and that's amazing she she is stepping into so much power here and I oh, I love it I love it but what is she proposing nice what is she proposing. <laughs> that's so it's so good what is she proposing and then the other guy's like let the girl speak <laughs> like no let her but speak. you know you know those voices like i said before those voices are coming from the back of the crowd this yep. is foot soldiers this is pilots these are not counselors and fancy people and generals and admirals these are just people who are standing in the back of the crowd saying okay but but now what tell us more let her speak. I I need I need to hear about this. Yeah. And she and and she does. She's like, you know, send all your troops to Scarif. Let's go. Let's full blown assault. Let's do it. I, 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 I do they're have right notes. to say no to that. <laughs> I do have notes here. Yes. Uh for, for Jin. Um specifically for that proposal. Um that's that's a bad idea. It's a really bad idea. <laughs> like a, an all out assault on Scarif base would not work 
No. There's the shielding on the planet. There's the fact that as soon as the base figures out what they're after, they could destroy the plans. Um, They'd have to get the... inside the building, not just blow up the building. Right. There's there's the inevitable Imperial backup. Like, send all your troops doesn't make sense. No. Strategically thinking, the only thing that actually makes sense is a Rogue One type operation. Uh, or smaller. Like, really it should be Bodhi, Jin, Cassian... K2, maybe Chirrut and Bays, but they stick out a little bit in a crowd. <laughs> a little, uh, yeah. Landing on the Scarif, blending in, sneaking their way up the tower, getting the plans, and booking it out of there. Yes. And, and Krennic would be none the wiser. I think I think Jin makes a misstep here in overcommitting emotionally and and with her frustration in this moment, overcommitting in terms of suggestion that the rebel fleet commit to an attack on Scarif. Like, that doesn't work right. in any circumstances. I completely agree. It's a bad idea. It's a bad plan. Jin, you're a soldier. You are not a planner. <laughs> <laughs> she she is she is a feral warrior. <laughs> <laughs> and she's a leader. And mm-hmm. she's a, you know, the guide, guiding light for everybody at this point. Um, she definitely needs Cassian. <laughs> she, yeah, somebody needs not, to tell her what stealth is. She's not complete without Cassian and this is where the next thing she says comes into play when um when the counselor says you're asking us to you know to do this based on nothing but hope and she stops she pauses and then she smiles and says rebellions are built on hope rebellions are built on hope that's those are Cassian's words that's Cassian's sentiment Cassian told her that she didn't believe it. She questioned him on that, too. Like, hope? Are you serious? And he said, yeah. Rebellions are built on hope. Rebellions are built on hope. And I think in this moment, in that pause before she says it, I think she forgives him. Not Maybe not entirely. She's not like, like oh, he can get away with anything now. But, <laughs> but I think she gets it. She realizes in that moment when she's being questioned and she's being denied and she's trying to fight for the cause and it doesn't work. She realizes that when Cassian says rebellions are built on hope that he meant it and that he was right. And now she agrees uh, and she believes it too. She knew that answer all along. It was, it was Cassian. She needs Cassian. The two of them are the team that they're the mom and dad of the team that um, that they make the plan and execute it. And I would say that this is also when Cassian says, all right, like, F the council, F my orders. I'm going to go grab these dudes. Yeah, it's time to assemble Rogue One. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he's in the council room. At what point did he leave? At what point did he, you know, did he hear her say that? Like, at what point did Cassian walk away? And go gra- start grabbing people. Um, but this this is when it feels possible, when it yeah. feels appropriate to do so. Yeah. And he's like, okay, we're going to, yeah, we're going to go. We're going to, I'm going to grab Melshi and I'm going to grab my friends. And they, they might all be in the crowd too. Yeah. And just be, he probably looked around and went, hey, you, 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 come, come with me, follow. <laughs> yep. And they all left and, and went to go pick up their stuff. Yeah. That's entirely possible. I, I wish that they would have shown them in the room um, or, you know, implied that Cassian had really listened to what Jin had to say. Um, but it's fine. 
So we're going to get Cassian back in a second. But we got to yeah. finish the scene. Right. So so as as Jin riles up the entire entire council chamber, there is a a glance, a look, yes, a, an eye contact making. <laughs> Uh, yes. Between two very important characters. Yes, between um, Mom Mothma and Bail Organa. Um, two very old friends who've been together, fighting at each other's side since since the Clone Wars started. Since before the Clone Wars. Since they, before they've the been, Clone Wars. They've been Republic senators and Imperial senators. Yeah. And part of this rebellion since day one. Yeah. So this this little moment really um, speaks to that relationship. It does, and they they share like a smile. It's cute. <laughs> <laughs> we've seen them at at each other's side through the Clone Wars the TV show, and we've seen how they are interacting in in this scene. Little things, little interactions between them that are giving away the idea that they are they are of the same mind on this. Yeah. That they both would really rather go. They really do want to start something with the Empire, but they know that they can't get away with it. But that Jin can. I think they're secretly thinking, maybe they're thinking, okay, well, Jin's maybe going to go do this on her own and we can just we should, let her. <laughs> we should just cut Jin loose because she is a hurricane. She and... is a hurricane. <laughs> and she will get this done when we can't. And Maybe... maybe they're they're essentially saying Jin smash, uh, and just hoping that it happens. <laughs> I have another theory. Yes, about this smile between them. Do you think that they look at little Jin or so, a, a tiny, very fearsome, brunette human woman, and do you think that they're thinking about Padme Amidala in this moment? They could be. Like um, they they were friends with Padme and Padme never backed down and was never afraid to go fight if she needed to. Yeah. Like she they've they spent years at her side in the Senate trying to get things passed, trying to work through bureaucracy, trying to do things the right way and ultimately failed. The the you know, the empire was able to take over with thunderous and Padme, applause. And Padme died. And I just wonder if in this moment they're like, like she's like an echo of our old friend. I see it. Uh, and I, I think Star Wars uh, catches a little bit of uh, deserved flack for having a lot of tiny brunette female protagonists. <laughs> um, and that is that is maybe earned. Um, but it's you can't deny the parallels here. Uh, and the visual, emotional, verbal parallels are astounding. And when you said that, I agreed. It just seems so natural. Like, of course they're thinking of Padme. Right? And and Bale's probably not just thinking of Padme. He's probably thinking of Leia. Yeah. His sweet daughter. <laughs> Who also would never be afraid to go get in a fight if she had to. Yeah, he and knows that. And who he trusts with his life. Yes. With the life of everybody in the galaxy. Yes. And, I mean, obviously, Bail Organa knows that Leia is Padme's kid, obviously. Yeah. Um, knows that that connection and how alike those two women are. Um, 
Uh, and probably, I think at least Bail Organa has to be seeing a little bit of that in Jin or so. Like, look at this woman standing up uh, amongst a bunch of men much bigger than she is, bossing them around and telling them what to do and, and, um, and, and asserting herself. And I think, I, I think that is what's happening there. That's my personal headcanon. That feels right to me. Do you think that, here's a, just a, just another thought here. Do you you think that, um, Mon Mothma knows that Leia is Padme's kid? Do I think Mon Mothma knows that Leia Organa is the daughter of Padme Amidala? That's a lot of Oz. That was a lot. It's a lot of names. I think she might. Uh, and I think if I, I somebody more familiar with uh, extended canon uh, than I might be able to say, like, definitively yes or no. Um, everybody knows Leia is adopted. Yes. That's an open secret. Or not a secret at all, rather. An open fact. Um, and she might suspect something. That's because she I knew think. Padme. I think and she, she knows Leia. She knew Padme. She knew Padme was pregnant. <laughs> Everybody knew Padme was pregnant. She was doing a really bad job of hiding it. Yeah. I mean, she was doing a good job at first, but at some point she was pregnant with twins. Like Right. <laughs> um, Bale knew. Mon Mothma knows about Obi-Wan. Like, do you think that Mon Mapa knows why Obi-Wan's in hiding and, like, knows why he, like, do you, I mean, like, I feel like if Bail Organa were to trust anybody with secrets like that, it would be Mon Mothma. Seriously, uh, who knows what Mon Mothma knows? And I think that's the brilliance of Mon Mothma as a, an on-screen character. It's that perfect diplomat. Yes. Like, all in white, like you said, and it does, it does bring up the concerns, like you said, but all in white, at the center of everything, calm almost expressionless uh devoted to the order right like i'm sorry jen without the approval of the council there's nothing we can do mm-hmm. yeah she is very good at this she's very yeah. good at her job um as frustrating as it is <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah she she yeah she and bail have a have a look they share that look as as the scene wraps up a lot of looks get shared um Bail Organa looks really upset. General Draven, like, he doesn't look like he's won a victory, but he has, right? Like, his his whole idea to go in there was to be like, no, Jyn Erso stinks, she's, <laughs> and she's wrong, and she's lying. And so the council doesn't agree, so they walk away. I think, I think Draven is, if he's not on Team Jin, he's at least on Team Action. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why he looks. He's like bummed out. He's like, "Well, right. okay, <laughs> nothing's happening now." Another my another pilots day. fought and died for what, right? Yeah, exactly. Everybody, yeah, everybody just looks like really, really upset. I guess they do all believe that the Death Star is a thing and is powerful, and so and they think that they're all done. Like that's it. Um, uh, the counselor, what's his name, Vaspar, has no Jebel. Um has said, you know, the rebel... Yeah, Jebel says the rebellion is finished. I say the rebellion is finished! He's the Anderson. Anderson <laughs> one. Uh, he says the rebellion... I think the rebellion is finished. That's one of the last things that they that they say around that circle. And 
everybody just kind of wanders off. Like, no one's running away. No one stays and keeps arguing with each other. As soon as Mon Mothma says, you know, there's, without the approval of the council, the odds are too great. Right. Jin leaves. Very upset. Right. And everybody just kind of goes, well, all right. Well, like, I think I think why they end up just kind of staring in disbelief or just kind of wandering off is because nothing was agreed upon. Yeah. Like, running, splitting, dissolving, fighting. Hiding. It, it, what they decided on was that they can't stay united on something. Yeah. They can't decide. And that's the... That's the worst thing that could happen to them now. Yeah, absolutely. No unified response to the Death Star. Nothing. They do nothing. They choose instead, not action, not running, not hiding, not fighting, not even surrendering. They just go, well, all right. Guess it's over. And just walk away. And it's sad. Like, this is, is really, this is really sad. Um, And I guess that... I guess that's just the end of the scene. <laughs> yeah. Because it just kind of follows Jin out, right? And what we get is Jin in the hangar. Yes. So, next scene. Change change location. Lucas wipe. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, to start, we start with Baze and Chirrut. Yes. And they're just chilling. They're just hanging out. So a couple of things that happen right here at the beginning before the action like really like gets started before Jin even speaks. Uh, Baze and Chirrut both react to Jin walking in the room before she's even fully in the room. They like they like look up and over at her as she comes through the door, and everyone she passes looks at her too. The one guy even like nudges his friend and like points at Jin like, "Oh, that's her." Like everybody's looking at Jin as she stomps her way through. The force is moving differently around someone who's about to kill. Uh, <laughs> and I think it's it's drawing a lot of attention because she's going to kill everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. She's like putting out some like super powerful anger vibes into the force that yeah. so powerful that everyone can feel it. Like she's just, wow, she is on the war path because they won't let her take a war path. <laughs> <laughs> The warpath has got to go somewhere. Just like when she was angry on the uh, on the escape from Edu, right? Yes. Uh, yes. The anger's got to go somewhere. And she's just looking to pick a place, but she doesn't really get the chance, does she? No, she gets uh, cut off at the pass. Um, right. But first, just one more one more thing that happens before she starts uh, before she starts yelling. Well, she doesn't even yell, but she wants to. Um, one more thing happens, and this is just fun. This is just a fun note. Uh, you hear over the intercom, somebody says, uh, General Sindola, please report to the briefing room. Yeah. We know who that is. Yeah, that's Hera Sindula. That's Hera Sindula. Uh, uh, she's, she's in this movie for less than half of a second, and her ship, the Ghost, is in this movie for less than half of a second, but I love it. That's so cool. What a fun treat for Rebels fans. Uh, I haven't watched Rebels yet. At this it's point, a, at this point in recording, I haven't seen it. I don't know if it's required watching, but it's fun. It's a lot of fun. I I mean, I'd love to. I have to finish Clone Wars first. Definitely finish Clone. And Wars. then I'm moving on to Rebels for sure. Um, yeah. Because I really like the idea of 
Harrison Villa. And I like the idea of the show Rebels. I'm really excited to to watch it. But uh, I didn't catch that. I mean, as I haven't seen the uh, seen the show Rebels, I didn't hear that intercom until I watched the movie with subtitles, like way later. And that's that's something that like it's a background noise that gets its own subtitle, so you know it's important. <laughs> yeah, they they wrote that into the script. It gets its own subtitle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just fun. I just I like that. I like that they did that. I like they put ghost in the uh, ghost. Right, that's the name of the ship. The ghost. The yeah. ghost. Um, into the uh, battle of scarif. That's cool. Um, and uh, it's a yeah, just a nice little treat. I just want to mention it before we move on to the meat of this scene. Right. Um, Because this is one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. I love this scene. Um, I love Cassian. Just because I love Cassian. Um, (laughs) All right. So so Jin walks up um, and she says, you know, they'd rather surrender. And Faze asks what she wants to do. And she said, and um, and Chirrut says, you know, she wants to fight. And Bodhi says, we, so do I. We all do. So do I. We all do. I love that from Bodhi. I love that from Bodhi. Because now he's got something to fight for, right? He's he's yeah. He's sacrificed so much. And he's just stood by your side and watched everybody say no. And poor, sweet little Bodhi Rook, who stutters through everything, suddenly is like, no, I want to fight. <laughs> like, I want to do something. Bodhi Rook wants to fight. This is no longer about ideals, and it's not its not abstract anymore. This is reality. Bodhi Rook wants to fight. Jin wants yeah. to fight. Baze and Chirrut want to fight. Um, and Chirrut, though, Chirrut's response to that is to smile and say the Force is strong. And he, I think that is when Chirrut senses that Cassian's coming. He's like, ah, the Force is strong. This is good. I like this. Something good is happening. Because um, Baze is the one that, that, that points it at Cassian as he's coming up behind them. Because um, he, he asks Jen, he's like, all right, well, how many do you need? We can't do it, just the four of us. How many do we need? And and points. And Chirrut's still grinning. And <laughs> I like that. I love those two. They're so cute. But yeah, because Chirrut knows... Chirrut knows, like, okay, Cassian's coming. He's found his way in the forest, maybe. He's, and is going to, to join us. And this will, you know, this will turn out great. This is, yeah. the force is into it. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not going to turn out great, but it, it, things will work out. <laughs> yes. um, and I think, I think what Chirrut is reacting to is that clarity of purpose, that clarity of path, right? Cassian's it, path is force... now clear, probably. Sorry? I said Cassian's path is now clear, probably. Yeah. Well, the Force is strong. He says knowingly, right? Like, (laughs) the Force is strong. It brought us here. Like, the Force did all of this. It surrounds us. It binds us. It brings us together. It makes this thing happen. Yes. And something is about to happen. I think, yeah, he senses it. The Force is strong. The Force is strengthened for their um for their all of their clarity of purpose and for Cassian's making a choice and for their their drive to fight that force maybe between them as a group is now s- stronger and that's why Chirrut says the force is strong it comes off as kind of a weird thing to say not 
because he could say the force is with us or the force will guide us or something or, you know, like advice. But he doesn't give advice. He just states a fact. The force is strong. And he's right. He's right for the, for them. The force is with them. It is strong. It is strong. You know, it's it's not the force doesn't control your actions. Not really. Right. No. It's it's nudges. It's. Um, it's, it's kind of the insurance policy on balance in the universe. Like it it doesn't make things not happen or happen. It, it arranges things so Mm -hmm. that they can happen. Uh, the force isn't a superpower that lets you move rocks. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a, it's, it's a instinct and, uh, and a, and feeling and your, you know, when you're not, able to move rocks and stuff with it it's your 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 intuition your your gut and that's chirrut's got it in spades um and that's i think why he's smiling he hasn't smiled for a while he spends the whole first half of the movie smiling not since jetta no he smiles a little bit when uh when baze is like good luck and he says (laughs) i don't need luck i have you right Baze is the only one to have gotten a smile out of him through the last half of the movie until this moment. Um, and then Jin turns around and there he is. There's Cassian frickin' Andor. <laughs> Jeez. Boy, oh boy. It, and, and, he, and he brought the boys. He brought the boys. <laughs> the, the um, what is that Sylvester Stallone vehicle the expendables yeah he he brought the the rebellions expendables that's exactly what they are that dude off his shoulder to the left of him um is a terrifying looking man (laughs) yeah i i think one of them is just eating a stick of dynamite (laughs) (laughs) just he brings out a a plate a knife a fork and he just starts eating dynamite right in front of us and and makes eye contact with the camera Mm -hmm. it's crazy he's so tough and and pal they're one of their um one of their alien friends yeah um he's a scary looking dude too very tough looking yeah uh, all reptilian and stuff i love him i love yeah. this group you're yeah, right to call and, them the expendables that's funny that's each good. and every one of the expendables here looks like a one-man army they're all built f and super <laughs> grungy we talk a lot about how important grunge is in star wars um and how how Star Wars is like dirty sci-fi. Yeah. And I think part of what's disorienting is because the the good guys are supposed to be grungy and dirty. And and then we went and watched this uh this council meeting where they weren't. The good guys weren't grungy and dirty. Right. There was a, a stark contrast. We're back with the grungy guys and <laughs> it feels so comfy to have these guys here even though we don't even know them. Yeah. We don't know these people. Not yet, anyways. Yeah. And, we, and you know, and we don't really get to know them, but we know what they're there for. And right. Cassian's going to tell us what they're about. Um, I just love Cassian's, you know, entrance. And he says, I believe you. Um, and Jin, like, just takes a breath. She's like, yeah, <laughs> thank you. That's what she's been waiting for. He believes her and he trusts her. And he says, I believe you. That's the trust goes both ways. That's back for them. She has been using his words and has forgiven him a little bit in the in the council room. 
And now he's there in front of her and saying that he believes her and trusts her. And then he he keeps going. He says, some of us, most of us, we've all done terrible things for the rebellion. Spies, saboteurs, assassins. Everything I did, I did for the rebellion. And there's just like so much to unpack there. <laughs> yeah, the, the going from some to most he doesn't say all because that exonerates all of them, actually. Oh, I'm not some of the most. Right. Um, he says but... some and most and then goes from us to we to I. Yeah. He that the the statement he's making starts big and gets very specific. He's unpeeling it, it starts, layers. It starts big, gets bigger, then gets smaller. Yes. Some, well, most. He doesn't say all, and I, I think not saying all is important because I, I don't think everybody there is, like, willing to admit what he's about to admit, right? Yeah. But then he the, includes the people, himself in that group. The people right behind him are more willing to admit it than others. Right. That's why right. they're there. And then, and then he says, we, meaning I'm part of that. I've done terrible things. Mm-hmm. And then he says, I've done it all. Everything and I did, I did for the rebellion. And the rebellion is, I mean, for all that we've just said that the rebellion is an idea and the rebellion is is nothing if not hope and now it has no hope, mm-hmm. now the rebellion is action. And yes. the rebellion is personal and the rebellion is a creed. It's not, it's not just like, oh, we rebel because it's the right thing to do. It's like, we're rebels and it is what we do. Yes, exactly. Uh, and then he says, without that, without the rebellion, without the cause, we're lost. AKA, without without you, Jin, and what you've brought us, and the purpose you have given us, we are lost. There's no cause if there's nothing to fight for. And if we don't fight against the Death Star, then what was it all for? He's He means that. He says it, and he means it. Without that, we're lost. Like, I just... I love that. I love that so much. It's so it's devastating. He he is, is admitting he's saying, you know, we us, we I are lost if we don't have a cause to believe in. And you've brought this to us. You've inspired something else in me that's not blindly following orders. It is remembering what I've what why I'm here and what got me here. I've been in this fight since I was six years old, but at some point I stopped fighting a cause and started following a person and people to tell me what to do. And that's not it. That's not it. He realizes that now. The people that were telling him what to do are those same people who get to wear tailored fancy white clothes and silk that won't get ruined. It's the same people that we were just talking about. And they were the ones that were telling him what to do and how to act and who to kill and what to blow up. And Jin brought him something that was finally an action he can take on his own for himself, for the cause that he believes in. And that is what got all of those people at her side. That's why they're now not a group of five, but a group of 25. Yeah. And I think this completes 
Cassian to a degree that we haven't seen him be in the entire movie. Yeah. Uh, he is... We know that he's got, like, roguish tendencies, right? Like, we know that he's, like, he's got that charm, and and he could be that kind of character, but we don't see him do that in this movie until right about now. Yeah. He's kind of like, yeah, I showed up. I've got a heart of gold. <laughs> I believe in things. I'm a uh, swagger up and look I'm a good. hero, too. Like, <laughs> I, he, he, he steps into that larger-than-life persona much like how Jin has just stepped into being a protagonist yeah now now cassian's like uh, i guess i guess i'm this kind of rebel now and he's he's not only embracing it he's bringing others along for the ride he's turned on that charisma and that charm that we expect from our scoundrel character <laughs> uh and it's totally working uh and he's about to say one of the cheekiest lines most impactful lines in this movie and i think he says it with a little bit of a smile because he's got purpose and he's happy about it you know what that line is which line he says welcome home oh Uh, i'm not oh i'm not there i'm not there yet i know oh we yes yes he says welcome home we i got i want to spend like i want to spend like a whole episode talking about welcome home <laughs> i do i want to pop back i okay, want to finish finish this finish off this scene because welcome home's how how the scene ends but there's a couple of things in the middle that we should mention um we should mention that um bodhi is the one that says we can go bodhi is again like stepping up I just, man, Bodhi has really come so far in this movie. And he says, we can go right as the Rogue One theme swells up behind them. The music kicks in. And right when Bodhi says we can go, he's the heart of this team, man. He He's the one that gives them all permission. He names them in a minute. And then K2 says one of the funniest lines in the movie. says... I'll be with you. Cassian said I had to. Oof. <laughs> just so funny. Jin, I'll be there for you. Cassian said I had to. Poor, poor, poor K2, who just, like, I think he's too cynical to believe in things. Yeah. I mean, like, he, he, is, a, he is a droid, so belief in things is not really the MO there, but... Not for most. Not he's, for most he, he's not a believer. He's not a things will work out sort of a person. He's he's analytical. Yeah. And he knows this is a fool's errand. But what he does believe in is his relationship with Cassian. And I, even though he might not trust Jin yet, uh, he will. He will he, trust Jin. He will trust Jin. But he trusts Cassian. And when Cassian says, you have to come because this is a cause that, you know, this is a cause I believe in and something I need to do. You have to come. Well, I bet Cassian gave him a choice. I bet Cassian said I had to is a, is a little bit of a joke. Yeah. Because I bet Cassian was like, all right, we're going to go do this thing. And uh, I'm going. Uh, and, you know, you don't have to. You're a droid. You can, you know, you have some sort of agency. You can do what you want. But I think the Cassian said I had to. Um, I think K2's interpretation of had to is, well, Cassian's going, so I have to go. 
Right. It's, I am it, by The choice is removed because yeah. Cassian is going, not because Cassian demanded he go. Yes. Yes. That's how I, I wouldn't, I don't think Cassian's the sort to be like, no, Kay, you have to come. Um, because he, tr- he loves Kay. He loves Kay. He's so upset when Kay dies. Um, and so he would never force Kay to do something that Kay wasn't willing to help. But in Kay's mind, Cassian saying he's going removed the choice. Cassian said I had to. Cassian's going, so I have to. Um, and I love that. I love that. Yeah. Okay, now we can talk about Welcome Home. I'm there Welcome now. Home. One of the most loaded two-word lines in the history of cinema. And you have feelings, so I don't want to say anything until you get to say everything you want to say about it. <laughs> um, so I want to I start with, with Jin's line that leads into Welcome Home. Because she says... I'm not used to people sticking around when things go bad. And Cassian's response to that almost seems like a non sequitur. He says, welcome home. I'm not used to sticking around when things go bad is a, is Jin's way of saying, I don't have anyone. I'm not, or I'm not used to having someone that's going to stay. I've been left behind a lot by a lot of people. And Cassian's response isn't, well, I am sticking around or, um, you know, things are bad, but I'm here. He says, welcome home. Yeah. When was the last time Jin had a home? Was it, I mean, like a a home. Was it on Lemuel with her parents? Was it with Saw? Um, Has home always been abstract to her? Was it just people? Was home her father, her mother? Saw, was Saw her home? It's all gone. We've seen her lose all of it. We saw her fight through all of it. We we see her get rejected and left behind by the council. We see her get rejected and left... Well, we hear about her being rejected and left behind by Saw. We saw her forcibly removed, you know, from her parents. We, we see all of this happen to her. So where is, you know, where is home? She doesn't have home. She doesn't have a home. Cassian, though, Cassian is home. He's saying what people who stick around when things go bad are home. The cause, the ship, this fight, our group, our family that we've just made, we're home. And I just love, I love that. (laughs) I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry thinking about it. It's beautiful. And as, as far as having a home, I mean, like, did Cassian have one? Mm-hmm. Like, before Jin. Yeah. Cassian is a tool. You know, he's an agent. He he gets given things to do, and then he goes and he does them. His closest thing to a friend is K2. <laughs> uh, his closest thing to, like, an authority figure that he looks up to is Draven, I guess. Can you imagine Draven being, like like affectionate or loving in any way (laughs) no because because can you imagine cassian being that way before this moment he he hasn't been he hasn't had a chance to no he hasn't had anything that inspired him to until Jin. and home home is i mean 
I'm going to make a bold statement here. Ooh. Home is family, too. Mm-hmm. Home is connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've talked a lot about how, how Jin is mom and, and Cassie and his dad. Yeah. And that was all like mom and dad are fighting and everybody had to watch. That's what What I'm talking about here now is like, here is a group of people that will sacrifice for each other. And they're doing it because of connection. And there's a, there's a lot of talk about fa- found family in fiction and how that's a powerful storytelling technique because, geez, especially in Star Wars, right? Oh, yeah. Lineage is not a guarantee of family connection. No, not at all. It's um, the, the people you find, the people you collect along the way. Yeah. the the In fact, the point, one could argue, of the sequel trilogy in the wake of Rise of Skywalker is that family is the connections you make for yourself. Mm-hmm. The beliefs that you hold and what you do with them. Yeah. It's something that I... That I really liked about the rise of skywalker we don't have to talk about the rise of skywalker but that's not a rise of skywalker podcast (laughs) that is something that i really really connected with Jin's connection to her biological family is important to her and it will stay important for the rest of the movie but like you said that's all been taken away Mm -hmm. if she's gonna find hope in the universe if she's gonna find purpose if she's going to be anything other than a hurricane that gets pointed at something, uh, she's going to need a family. Yeah. And she's going to need a home. And she has one now in the belly of this stolen Imperial <laughs> transport. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're her family. These 20-ish people. Even though we don't know all of their names. Uh, and even though not all of them die poetically. Even though many of them die po- poetically. <laughs> A lot of them get to die very poetically. Uh, um, but this this ship, this cause, this this group, this last fight is home. I think the fight too, this last thing is home. They don't expect to come back. This like they acknowledge that from the beginning. She says it in in her speech when she says and on and on until the chances are spent. Right? She acknowledges like, hey, we could just not walk away from this. This is a suicide mission. It was uh, rejected by the council for a reason. Yep. Um, and, but, but that's okay because they're home now. They have a home with each other. Baze calls her little sister in a minute. Uh, Chirrut, we've already established, is her mom. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and Bodhi has her back and stands at her side when she's fighting the council and, and, and Cassian has welcomed her home. They're her. They're, this is home now. All of these people came out of nowhere to follow her, to follow Cassian, and to stay by their side and die for each other. That's that's home. I agree, and I think "welcome home" is the only thing he could have said here. It's... I don't think he could have said like, "Well, that's not what I'm gonna do," or like, <laughs> uh, or like. Or... Or, or like, uh, that's right, but not when, anymore, because rebels stick together. No, welcome when, home. <laughs> when welcome we make home. it out of this, we're going to make out. <laughs> welcome home carries all of the meaning it needs to in two words. 
and it does it for these characters specifically. This movie's really well written. Yep. It really is. It's uh, really good. And, you know, sometimes we forget that because it's also a uh, fun-to-watch roller coaster, but it's also a very interior, like, very, very well-thought-out character study for Jin Erso and Cassian Andor specifically. Uh, and this line does it. It works. It works. It's wor- It's so loaded and carries so much. A lot of this movie is in the subtext. And I think that's what makes... Not to toot our own horns. Uh, <laughs> but I think that's what makes Rogue Fun such a meaningful enterprise. Is that it gives that subtext room to breathe. This format of talking about the movie. Yeah. <laughs> So we should probably talk about how they get to the ship. Sure. We've got, yeah, two more, like, itty-bitty little little scenes to cover uh, before the end of this episode. Uh, real quick. Um, so they, you know, he says, welcome home. And then they are making their way to the ship. And they are, like, on a freaking runway. Like, fashion runway. Look at those two walk. They're the best. They're the best, <laughs> right? Like, they rule. They are. <laughs> um, they get on the ship. And immediately Cassian looks to Jen, just like you said before, looks right to her. And she says, may the force be with us. May the force be with us. And that's the, that's the thing. This is the button. We are in Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) She's like so confident. And Chirrut is smiling and banging his staff on the ground. And that and- little giggle with the staff bang that he does is like, he like you are way into Bodhi's cheerleading in the council room. I'm way into that little moment. Yes. Where he's like, yes, the force. I remember that. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's my thing. Uh, he's so stoked. Uh, he's and so stoked. So am I when yes. they get on the ship and Jin is invoking the force. Yes. It's so good. Um, it's, I I use that gif all the time on Twitter, constantly. That shot of her holding the, the little strap backlit by the, by the hanger saying, may the force be with us. Man, that's cool. That's good. (laughs) Uh, but they gotta get off the, they gotta get off planet. And so they go up to the cockpit and, uh, there's a really cool, um, camera shot where it pulls focus. Uh, It's focused on the hanger behind uh, Bodhi and then uh, changes focus and and focuses on him instead um, when he's getting the message that's so like hey you're not supposed to be here <laughs> and he's like uh y- yeah situation yes, normal we are. Uh, uh, how are you <laughs> and um, and he's stuttering he's stuttering he's nervous but he picks up the headset and he's like no uh, we gotta yeah we're gonna we're gonna go just a little <laughs> encouragement from Jin is all he needs and then he gets to say what's your call sign um, we have to go. It, it's, um... Say something. Come on. Rogue? Rogue One. The title of the movie. What's your designation? And he says it. He says, oh, what's your call sign? What's that's your call what sign, says. pilot? Well, and that's the thing that I've thought about a lot. Is that call signs typically belong to the pilot, right? Not to the ship. I guess. I mean, uh, 
like, we, we know that Luke will inherit Red Five from Red Five, who's uh-huh. about to explode in the Battle of Scarif. Because it's um, obviously he's not in Red Five's ship because it exploded. Yeah, um, I guess it's it's black the leader, red leader, gold leader. Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, I think I think the uh, yeah definitely. So, Bodhi Rogue Bodhi is, is Rogue One. I would I would buy that movie poster. <laughs> Bodhi Rook is Rogue One. And yes. I've, I've said it a hundred times in this podcast already. I'll say it a hundred times more. Bodhi Rook is the heart of this story. He goes through so much and carries so much on his back and is so is supportive and there. And we watch him be like such a such a solid heart, like a true pure heart in the story. He is Rogue One. Bodhi Rook goes rogue. Like, he does. Jin Erso is like, this is a rebellion. I rebel. Is that line even in, in the movie? I it's forget. not. Okay. Uh, Jin Erso, but that's her attitude. Yeah. Um, Bodhi Rook has gone rogue now twice in his life, and they were the best decisions he ever made. Yeah. Maybe not for his safety, not for his sanity, but for the galaxy. And yeah, I think Bodhi Rook is Rogue One. Uh, he's he might not be the um, compass of the team, but he he certainly is the heart. Yes, yeah, he is. And I just and Rogue One is such a goofy name. It's so good, Rogue like... Rogue One. And Jin gives him this look that's like, "Are you kidding? Like, <laughs> like seriously, you went with Rogue? You want to give our game away?" Rogue Squadron will be the the title given to. Uh, you know, a squadron that, that Luke eventually commands, but also that's like a specialist strike force yep. later in the Rebellion's life st- uh, lifespan. Uh, and Bodhi Rook, cargo pilot, local, local boy, boy uh, gets to invent it right now on the fly in a moment of, uh, we're, we're, we're doing a bad. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we're going we're rogue. We're, we're going, rogues now. We're, rogues. we're going I'm rogue. rogue. Rogue One. Rogue. I'm the pilot. <laughs> I'm the pilot. I brought the message. I'm the pilot. I'm Rogue One. I can't. Yes. I just. I think about this all the time about how call signs are belong to the pilot and not to the ship, and I just. I. I feel like. I feel like nobody else is talking about this. Nobody is. <laughs> Bodhi Rook like, is Rogue One. I feel like the way it's played in the movie, it's easy to say, "Oh, Bodhi just named the ship. He named the mission, the crew. He named the ship." He's naming himself, and yep. Bodhi Rook has gotten many titles over the course of the movie, but this is the first one he gets to give himself. Yep. Everybody yeah. else tells him who he is. You're the pilot. You you're... brought the message. You're a rebel now. Mm-hmm. And then he says, I'm... What's your call sign? Rogue. Rogue one. Dang. Dang. And see, that's the sort of thing that I don't even think about unless you tell me about it, Alice. (laughs) I think about it constantly. And that's why I started this podcast. (laughs) So, so there is, there's one more short scene. Itty bitty little scene. We're going to talk about Bail, Organa, and Mom Mothma, uh, well, just one more time, real quick. It may, it may be, uh, it may be time to, uh, call your friend. (laughs) Your friend, my friend. Your friend, the Jedi. (laughs) (laughs) She knows about Obi Wan. Yeah. Uh, Which I think for I think further supports my idea that she might know about Leia and Padme. She She might might not know about Luke. She might suspect that Obi Wan 
is the father of Leia. Ooh. Uh, I, I feel like I feel like not a lot of people might have caught on about Anakin Skywalker and Padme Amidala. Oh, I don't know. Anakin's real <laughs> not not subtle at <laughs> He's all. He's not good at it in He's the movies so at all. He's bad at it. He's bad at it in Clone Wars, He's too. He's so Actually, bad you know at it in the Clone Wars. She knows. She, she knows. knows. If you it's know anybody, on... <laughs> it has to be him. Mon Mothma knows. So, anyways, <laughs> it might be time to call your friend the Jedi. Yes. And uh, Bale's like, oh, don't worry. I know exactly who I should send to find him. I would trust her with my life, he says. And so, so we all immediately know that that's Leia. But there's there's one more. I have beef about this scene, actually. <gasps> beef. I know, just a little bit. Gonna bring beef into this. Mon Mothma's like, are you sure you can trust him? Right? Uh. Like, is, is he still good? Are we all good here? Uh, and Bale says, "Well, he served me well during the Clone Wars." <laughs> and I'm like, "How dare you?" Like, there's there's a lot of little nods to A New Hope, uh, and. Leia's message, of course, is you served my father well during the Clone Wars. Uh-huh. But I've always objected to the idea that Obi-Wan served Bail Organa in the Clone Wars. <laughs> uh, Obi-Wan may have performed acts of service for Bail Organa in the Clone Wars, but, but... he wasn't Bail's personal knight. He wasn't Bail's entourage. <laughs> like Bail wasn't even like... Uh, like running the war at all no. he wasn't a commander or anything Served like, me well obi-wan was a general <laughs> <laughs> i feel like obi-wan outranked him no i think senators did outrank generals in the clone war yeah but even so weird wording just a callback line and a little bit of beef from me all right. though it is cute it is very cute it's mostly very cute um no yeah I, I, I agree that that's weird. And it definitely, when they retconned the serve my father well in the Clone Wars line from the original film, uh, to be like, oh, yes, the Clone Wars, the thing that Bail Organa really didn't run or have quite a lot to do with strategically. Right. Everything about the Clone Wars is a retcon from uh, from the movie The Clone Wars onward. Like, or not the movie The Clone Wars. Um, from the, the movie Clones. Attack of the Clones onward. like. Yeah. The Clone Wars are a made-up, after-the-fact justification for a line, a throwaway line in A New Hope. One line in A New Hope mentions something called the Clone Wars, and they went, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's the that's two more movies. Uh, yeah. and, and an entire amazing <laughs> animated seven series. seven-season animated series. But, but, you know, I always kind of preferred the idea that the Clone Wars were kind of a small Alderanian matter that Obi-Wan kind of dealt with. Like, that sounds so much better for lining up with the line, you serve my father well. That's just not the reality of the situation. So it's weird that they would call attention to it in Rogue One. It's just another, it, it's just a, a fan service line, I it's guess. It's kind of like, who are your people? Oh, I have no people. Oh, last name Solo then, right? <laughs> like, uh, it, it's, it's one of those lines that I think doesn't really need to be there. Like, Mon Mothma, Mon, Mon Mothma could be like, hey, your friend, the Jedi, can we call him? And Bale would be like, yes, I trust send... him. I'm still in contact. I'll, I'll send my best messenger, Leia Organa. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and, and then and then that's like, oh, this is why Leia's, on, you know, it gives gives her a, yeah, that that is probably a better, a, a better, more accurate read and of then, that. And then scene. Leia's line can still be, you serve my father well in the Clone Wars, because she's, you know, a, she was an infant on the last day of the Clone War. <laughs> <laughs> like she doesn't know 
she doesn't know what that means. She's just like, ah, yes, uh, my father's trusted servant and advisor from the Clone Wars. Like, she's not familiar with Jedi Knights and the ranking system. So that line's still fine. <laughs> That's true. You're probably right. Yeah. I still like it. It's fine. I, I, it's a cute little scene, and it bridges the gap to A New Hope, which is kind of a really cool thing that this movie does. Yes. And it's coming up quick. We don't oh, have long. We've yeah, got, on... like, 45 minutes left in this movie. And on our next episode, we officially enter the final act of the movie. The That's... uh, the 45-minute climax that is the Battle of Scarif. Yes, we are. We are coming up, coming in hot on the Battle <laughs> of Scarif. Um, so let's talk about it. Let's talk about yeah. the, the the future of uh, of Rogue Fun, a podcast story. We'll talk about our next few episodes here. Um, uh, today I rewatched the last fifty or so minutes of this movie, uh, including the Battle of Scarif, and I have divided it up into five mostly equal pieces in length. Uh, it's pretty. It's impressive because each of these equal pieces ends on a button that is a good like end to the segment they're all about 10 minutes long and uh we will cover them all uh one per month through the uh i guess that almost brings us through the end of the year that brings us through november see. five more episodes yeah june july august september october i guess october? it would be october okay um, and then we can do our wrap-up episode in November, talking about the movie as a whole. December is another anniversary. Um, it will be the, um, gosh, the fourth anniversary of the film. We can do another commentary track, maybe. Uh, let us know what you'd like to see for the uh, fourth anniversary of Rogue One. Uh, let us know on Twitter uh, what you think about that. Um, and that brings us to the end of 2020. And then 2021 brings more exciting content we'll talk about the books we'll talk about the cassian show um whenever that decides to make an appearance and um yeah that's how does that sound buddy i am 100 percent in to finish this movie over the course of five more months <laughs> and i am also 100 percent in for any additional material regarding rogue one that you want to drag me along for Yay! This is one of my favorite podcasts in the entire universe, and that includes all of the podcasts made by people far more talented than us. Yeah, that's um, true. <laughs> and that's amazing that I get to be a part of it. So, Alice, I am 100% on board. Uh, may the Force be with us. Jeez, we're going to need it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're almost done. Thank you all for listening, for tuning in for this episode. It's a, a little long, but they all are, aren't they? Um, and, uh, if you have any thoughts about what we talked about today, especially I want to hear your thoughts about, uh, Bodhi, uh, Bodhi as Rogue One and about what, what you think about Mom Mothma. I want to know. I want to know what you think if she knows. Uh, if you've read Bloodline, I've read Bloodline, but it's been a long time. Uh, Bloodline or Leia, Princess of Alderaan. If you've read those books, if you have, um, a better knowledge on whether or not anyone else knows about, Leia's um, parentage. I want to know, not not about necessarily about Anakin Skywalker. I want to know who knows that Leia's Padme's kid. That's what I want to know. 
let me know. I bet the list is very small. It's very, very, very small. So if you know that, please let us know. Uh, probably on Twitter at Rogue Fun Pod is the is the Twitter for the show, and I'm on Twitter and on Instagram at Alice White Thp. Yes, and I'm at Buddy underscore Duquesne. Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. And we also have a Discord server. Yes, if you tweet at us or drop us an email, uh, uh, drop me an email at alicewhitepodcast at gmail.com and I will send you a link to our Discord server. Uh, and that's where all of our full-length conversations happen. And we, boy, are we always talking about how awesome this movie is and on many, many, many more topics. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the Discord server is the place to be if you want to be part of the next Rogue One watch party, which should be happening in June. I'm really looking forward to that. Yes. Uh, be... So if you want to watch the movie with us, that's the place to go. That'll be super fun. Always is really fun. And uh, yeah, you can find that information on Twitter and on Discord. Um, we also have a Patreon patreon.com slash those happy places is the name of the patreon it's named after our firstborn podcast <laughs> uh those happy places which is our theme park podcast if that's something that you would like to listen to you can find that wherever podcasts are uh are found you can check us out on patreon and support the show um we've got tiers there for um for bonus episodes, for stickers and postcards, for joining us for watch parties uh, even more often than the ones that we throw um, for Rogue Fun, for Rogue One. <laughs> <laughs> um, check it out. That's uh, patreon.com slash those happy places. Alice, I am the proud owner of one of the holographic Rogue Fun stickers that can be... Uh, given to supporters at uh, patreon.com slash those happy places and it is the coolest sticker i own oh yay. it's amazing I it love, is so cool i love the sticker it is it is holographic it is very cool we also have those happy places stickers with our amazing show art um everything is uh everything is online for you to check out and you can send us an email or a message at any point with any questions you have um anything else am i missing anything Alice, we have forgotten to say thank you to two of our astounding Patreon backers. <gasps> That's true. Our Two of our most astounding Patreon backers who are at the D-ticket level, um, that is Charles Castine and Aslam Chaudhry, who are both excellent, excellent friends and wonderful supporters and fans. We just love them. Yes, thank you to both of you. You are gentlemen and scholars. Without you, the shows would not be what they are. And the best way to support the show, if you're not feeling like uh, Patreon will work for you at the moment, is just to let people know about it. Yeah. Uh, these shows are a labor of love, and the more people know about them, the farther we will reach, and the more people we will help understand this wonderful film exactly. uh, to the greatest extent possible. Exactly. Good point. Please tell well, your friends. Hey, Alice. Rogue Fun, pulling away. May the force be with us.